for that day. Can you? Amen. <laughs> I want to yes. be there right now. But yes. We've been left here for a purpose, right? It's not as though God has forgotten about us. He's not forgotten about us, but he's left us here for a purpose. That's to share the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. And so we do that even from this little church on the hill, as some have described it. And we send our money and we send our resources and we send our people uh, so that others might have an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him and his sacrifice for us on the cross that paying the penalty for our sins so that when we believe and trust in him, we can have eternal life and be reconciled to God. So we are in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible and want to turn to the book of Hebrews, we'll be here today and one more time. And then we'll be finished with the book of Hebrews. And when we do, I'm going to give you guys a big clap because it has been a long haul. It has been 30 some messages over a period of several months. But I, I hope that you have learned a ton from this because I know I have learned a ton. And I hope that you are encouraged to be even more faithful to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because one thing that we have learned is that Jesus Christ is better. He is sufficient, isn't he? He's sufficient for all of our needs, especially our need of being reconciled with God. You see, before Jesus came, uh, it was true and it's true now that we were all sinners. <laughs> We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we have been separated from God. But because of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for our sins, he has closed that gap for those who believe and trust in him that we might have eternal life. And so Jesus is better than everything He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Um, everything about the new covenant in Jesus' blood is better. And he is a better priest. He is a better sacrifice. And we are a people who are to have faith in him. And we are to love one another as well. So that's just a little bit of a, of a background to what we've done in Hebrews over the past couple months, several months. And today we come to a scripture that really, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure I was going to uh, enjoy as much as some of the scriptures that we've talked about in the past. But just about the time I think the word of God uh, isn't going to live up to its expectations, I find something in there that is just tremendous and very encouraging to us today. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 through 16. And uh, so I'm going to ask that as we read this, you go ahead and stand in honor of God's word like we always do and uh, pay especially close attention to this today. There's uh, starts out with a verse that is very familiar to us, but then there's some verses that may not be so familiar to us. And that's why we meet here today is to talk about those and to glean everything that we can out of these. So you follow along with me as I read this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. 
for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is a fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this scripture, and as we read through it, it seems strange and maybe even bizarre if we've not heard these words before, but it does make sense ultimately as we go through that. And it teaches us how we can be strengthened by grace and not by any kind of rituals or any kind of good works that we try to do. It is through your grace that we are to be strengthened. And so I, that is my prayer today is that we might understand this scripture and have wisdom as to how to apply it, but most of all, that we would be strengthened by your grace and that we would have a true heart for obedience. Father, we love you so much. We want to be pleasing to you. Help us to learn how to do that. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, as I said, that scripture sounds a little bit strange. It talks about food, it talks about altars, it talks about animals and blood, and what are we to get from this today? Well, the main thing that I took away from this today is directly from verse number nine. Verse number nine says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. So we're gonna, we're gonna learn about all this, hopefully. But the thing that I take away from this is that we are to be strengthened by God's grace. And where else would we go to be strengthened other than God's grace, right? We have nothing within ourselves to strengthen us. It's only through God that we can be strengthened and through his grace. So I wanna, I may vary from your outline just a little bit, but I wanted to start out with this truth, this very first verse that we mentioned. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you not thankful for that today, that he does, not, he does not change? He is unchangeable. He is eternal. That's really what this means. It means as far as you want to go back, there is Jesus. And as far as you want to go in the future, Jesus is still there. And so this indicates and tells us that Jesus, although he was a man, was much more than a man. He is, in fact, God as well. He is the man God. And I know that term is maybe not familiar to you, but we believe this. This is a doctrine that we hold firmly to, that Jesus, when he came, born in a manger, he came as a man, but he also was 100% God. And that's why we can call him Lord and Master. Otherwise, if he was not God, it would be wrong for us to have any other master than God, right? But he is Lord and master. And so he is eternal. He is more than just a man. He is also God. Jesus has always been 
and will always be there for us, right? He will be there for us. We don't have to worry about whether he is going to be around next year or 10,000 years from now. He is always going to be around. He is both our creator in the past, our redeemer in the, fu- in the present, and in the future, our future deliverer and our judge ultimately. Jesus has always been and will always be there and he will be there for us. I think this is essential for us to believe, especially if we believe in eternal security, right? What would happen if, if Jesus were not there sometime in the future or sometime had, uh, was not able to intercede for us? It wouldn't be good. We know that he continues to intercede for us even now. That is one thing that he is doing in heaven now is interceding for us. And so Jesus is eternal. He is also unchanging in his nature. Jesus is always true to his promises. Amen. He is always true to his promises. There's no promise that he has made that he will not keep. It would be a change in his character for him to lie or to not keep his promises. He always does that. And then finally from this verse, we understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ of God. He is the one who will deliver his people and he has delivered all those who place their faith and trust and cry in, in him as Savior and Lord. He and his sacrificial on the work on the cross are sufficient for all who believe to be saved. Let me say that again. <laughs> say it many times, right? But this is one of the themes of the book of Hebrews. He and his sacrificial work, his dying on the cross, is sufficient for all who believe to be saved. Amen. That's all that's required is to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe and repent of our sins. And you may say, well, you said one thing, now you mentioned two things. No, belief and repent are two sides of the same coin. The belief that saves is a repenting faith. The belief that saves is a repenting faith. And faith and repentance are the same. They're two sides of the same coin. And so... Because of this, we go on to verse 9, we are not to be led astray by strange teachings. God's grace through Jesus is the only way. God's grace through Jesus is the only way. The writer of the book of Hebrews has a lot of issues that he has to deal with in writing to the Hebrews, doesn't he? He knows that they are, some of them at least, are drifting away. That's the term that he uses. He says they're like a ship in a harbor who has lost its anchor and slowly it is drifting away. In another place, he says that the people in the book of Hebrews are neglecting their salvation. In other words, they're not paying attention to what's going on. They're not in their Bible like they should be. They're drifting away and they're neglecting their salvation. He says, at least to one group in the book of Hebrews, he says, there's a danger, danger of them having an evil, unbelieving heart that would cause them to fall away from the living God. And he warns them not to harden their hearts. You see, not only were the Hebrews tempted to return to Judaism, but it seems as though they were also tempted to be led away from Jesus by strange teaching or 
or a variety of different teachings. Now, I don't think we really know what all of these different teachings are, but some of them at least had to do with food, right? And I, I know that maybe seems a little bit strange for us in our culture, but like Danny mentioned in Sunday school, cultures are different. In the culture during the time of Jesus and shortly after that, food played an important part. And even going back into the Old Testament, there were regulations about how food was to be used, how it was, you know, what foods could be eaten, what foods could not be eaten, and different ways of preparing foods. For instance, it was looked down upon for someone, a Christian, to eat food that had been previously offered to an idol. And so what, they, what I think the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to get apart across in this part is that we don't find favor with God through how we treat and what we do with our food, right? Those regulations. It's only through grace. It's only a free gift of God that we can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he warns them here. He, he says, don't be led astray by various teachings. And he goes on and he says, for the good of the heart, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. So whatever this teaching is about foods, it is not helping them in any kind of spiritual way. In fact, this is one of the things that I identified as a false teaching. Food from the tabernacle, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. Food from the tabernacle offering benefit those who eat them in, eat them in finding favor with God. That is the false teaching. So... Make sure we get this straight. The false teaching is that foods from the tabernacle somehow benefit those who eat them in finding favor with God. And he, go, he really says that believing this false teaching is tantamount to them being led away from the faith. It is a salvation by works and not grace, right? It's by doing something with this food, whether it's eating it or not eating it, they see it as a benefit to their spiritual salvation, and it's not, it cannot be. And so the story behind this is that there are some Levites in the Old Testament. The Levites were the ones who have uh, say-so over the temple and the temple proceedings. The Levites, as people would bring animal sacrifices to them, were allowed to take some of that meat and keep for themselves. In fact, 1 Corinthians says it very plainly. It says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service or tabernacle service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? It appears that some have believed that the eating of food that had been taken from the tabernacle services would benefit them spiritually. That is, that it would bring them closer to God. So, let me say that again. It appears as though some of people had believed that eating the food that had been used in the tabernacle sacrificial services would benefit them spiritually, as though it had taken on some kind of magical power to heal or to spiritually heal. That's at least what I have gleaned from this scripture here. Uh, 
that it would bring them closer to God. Other people believe that abstaining from certain foods was necessary to be favored by God. But the scripture very clearly here in verse 9 says that it is good that the heart be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. So they may eat of this food. They may think it's going to help them spiritually, but it does not help them spiritually. The true teaching, I believe, from this section of scripture is that all these food regulations are a shadow of things to come to and the real substance is Christ. Let me say that again. The true teaching is that all these food regulations are a shadow of things to come and the real substance is in Christ, right? Amen. So there, there, were, there were rules and regulations in the Old Testament about what food people could eat, how they could eat it, how it had to be prepared. But those are only a shadow of the things coming and Christ is the real substance. And so food in the Old Testament may point the way toward Christ, but it offers no benefit. Christ is the one that we must turn to. Colossians says it this way, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, it was very tempting for the people of the Jews, the Hebrews, to continue on with festivals that they had or a new moon or a Sabbath as though Christ had not come and fulfilled those. But Jesus did come and fulfill those, right? He did come and fulfill the Sabbath, day rest. So we no longer work for our salvation, but we rest in Christ. We according to the scripture, verse 10, have a altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. This is where it gets a little bit twisty-turny, right? But the good news, and I kind of have simplified it by saying we have a better altar. In the whole book of Hebrews, we've seen how Jesus is better, how Jesus is better than Moses, how Jesus is better than the Old Testament law, how Jesus is better than the rest that Joshua offers. Well, here, apparently, he's saying that we have a better altar to eat from than those who work in the tabernacle. And I know this sounds a little bit strange, but kind of hold on, to, on with me just a little bit. To eat from the, to eat from the old altar and to expect some kind of benefit from that in our Christian walk would be, would be works, right? It would be works. It would be doing something by works. But we have a better altar, which is the altar that Jesus was laid upon. In fact, I would say that he is the altar from which we have the right to eat. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus got into a little bit of trouble with most of his disciples. In fact, a lot of people turned away from him because he kept, he kept saying that unless you eat of my body or drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. You remember that saying? And what it means is that it doesn't mean we physically eat his body, obviously. We cannot do that. But it does mean that we find our satisfaction, our contentment in him. 
And so I think the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying the exact same thing here, is that we don't need to go to the old tent and eat of that meat, but we need to be content in what Jesus has done for us. And in that sense, we have a better altar. Does that kind of make sense to people? That's the way it made sense to me. And so we see reading on that Jesus suffered outside the gate in order that he might make us holy. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order that he might be made holy. So apparently in the tabernacle, the temple system, when the sacrifice was given, um, the blood was taken to the altar inside the temple. The body was taken outside of the city, outside of the gate, and there it was disposed of. We see this a little bit in the, the tabernacle that we went and saw. You guys remember going to see the tabernacle? And they kind of made one statement there I, I didn't know if I really agreed with, but they talked about the scapegoat. So on the Day of Atonement, there was uh, two goats that were given. One, one was killed and the blood was put on the altar. The other was taken outside of the city and let go. Uh, and they said that that did not refer to Christ, but I do think it refers to Christ. I think that's what this is talking about. That Jesus, his body was taken outside the body, which it was, right? It was taken outside the body, taken to Calvary. That's where he was crucified in order that we might be made holy. So verse 12, so Jesus also severed outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So Jesus has a very specific purpose. And this is all part of God's plan that he would be taken outside of the city, outside of the gate in order to be crucified so that we could be made holy or sanctified by his blood. And that's exactly what happens, right? When we believe and trust in Christ, the blood is applied to us and we are made perfectly holy even though we still know that we have sin within us. And that's the great blessing about being a Christian, right? Is that our righteousness comes from someone else. If we as a believer in Christ stand before God, he will see us as perfectly righteous because he sees the righteousness only of Christ. If you don't have Christ, you must stand in your own righteousness. And that's not gonna turn out well for us, for anyone, right? because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we all have a need of Christ. We all need to be saved. We all need to be sanctified by his blood. And verse 13 says, so therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. And I can tell you here today, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, obey this commandment, go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. In other, in other words, identify with Christ. Say yes to Christ. Surrender your life to Christ. That's exactly what he's talking about. Even though we may bear some reproach for that. Jesus did, right? Jesus was not part of the world. He was in the world, but he was not part of the world. And the world, opposed to what many people believe, did, did not accept him, but rejected him. And so he asked us to do the same thing. Go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. 
And we do that because we have no lasting city on this earth, right? We have no hope of this earth ever turning around and being what God had, had originally designed for it, except through Jesus Christ. But we seek a city that is to come. In other words, we seek the heavenly Jerusalem pictured in Revelation, descending from earth, the place where we will live and be with God forever. And so if we believe this, if we believe that he is an altar for us to where all of our sin debt can be satisfied, then that makes a difference in our lives. And that's really what verses 15 and 16 are about. It says, through him, let us then continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. A Christian cannot but help tell and talk about Jesus. Do you believe that? <laughs> I believe that. Yes. We, cannot, we cannot fail to tell people about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. There should continually be a sacrifice of praise. Notice this is not an animal sacrifice. This is a sacrifice of opening up our mouth and telling people about Jesus Christ. The fruit of our lips must be that we acknowledge his name. And Jesus said it himself, if you acknowledge my name before men, then I will acknowledge your name, you before my Father. If you do not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before my Father. And so this is one thing that we do as Christians. We offer up a sacrifice of praise. Also, verse 16, we do not do, neglect to do good. People in the book of Hebrews were under scrutiny they were under persecution and yet he's still telling them do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God Amen. so knowing Christ makes a difference in our life Amen. all of a sudden we're not pointed inward to ourselves but we're looking outward to the welfare of others what are the two commandments that we are to obey above all others? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we do that when we have the right understanding. But this is all through grace, right? This is all through a gift that we have been given by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He saved us by grace not because of works, lest we should boast. May we not boast in our accomplishments, but we should boast in the accomplishment of Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time that we've had through a, a kind of difficult section of Scripture, difficult to understand maybe, but difficult to explain, and I pray and hope that we've got the message here today that even though he's talking about foods, really it's a symbol for anything that we do in the way of works in order to obtain your good favor toward us. And we cannot do that. We're not worthy of that because of our sin. Instead, we must see how we are totally bankrupt and we have nothing to offer that we can only turn to Christ in faith 
and beg for mercy and ask for forgiveness as we believe and trust that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. And that is given to our account when we believe and trust in Christ. And so that is our plea today that if there's one here today or many here today who have never placed their faith and trust in Christ that they would do so, that they would turn away from their attempts to earn your favor by good works and just give up on that and say, it's by grace that I must be saved. And Christ has paid it all because his sacrifice is sufficient for all who believe and trust in him. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.